We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And recently, we've been really focused on the NBA playoffs. And in kind of a esoteric way, this will be two. Uh, but we got a full house today, and so I'd, I'd love to really focus on the Lakers. And in watching these playoffs, I'm relating a lot of my thoughts back to well, what were the Lakers trying to do with this season? We were talking about this right before we hit record here of we all know the Lakers season went to crap for a billion different reasons. But we're back at the point or we're about to go into the point of the season where the concepts of a team and the concepts of the team that you try to build are important during the day to day of the season. I at least I'm very much in coach mode. These are the lineups. These are the schemes. These are all of that because the roster is basically set. You only have a couple of points during the season where that's going to change. And so now that we're back in this idea of the team, I think watching the playoffs with that in mind, D, is important. And one of the things that's really standing out to me is the idea of a team. When you assemble a roster, that's what it is. It's a collection of individuals, but then something that there's something that happens over the course of a season, and in many cases over the course of multiple seasons, that becomes this third kind of force. And I always talk about a wave, and the waves that are the, the biggest in, are usually the ones that start the farthest back in the ocean and have time to gradually accumulate and build. And this is this is my biggest fear with the Boston Celtics right now is they're very much cresting at the right time. But that's a separate force, D, from the actual talent on the team. That's something that you build over the course of a season that this Lakers team, the, the nature of the season and the way it went, some self-inflicted, some not. It was that wave that showed up right near the shoreline. And it was a pittance and just, you know, we never developed that force that comes with a team playing together and getting reps. So in that idea of what were we trying to go for, let's separate it from the result. And yeah. let, let, let's let's talk about that. Well, I, I think like it's important. Hear Pete, I like to just hear Pete talk about the ocean, Darius, by yeah. the way. No, totally. You know, that's that. When Pete said that, you, you know, everyone takes these pictures or 
they're at the beach and it's like the water is <sighs> rushing up and and then the water's barely hitting your toes and you're just like, oh, I'm I'm at the beach. And Pete's little soliloquy right there about the wave and cresting and then Boston. You gotta stop talking about Boston. No, first of all. it's the main thing on my mind, D. <laughs> this is going to be an ongoing storyline. This is the only thing I care about now. Look, it, look, man, it's gonna be a if, long couple months, right? Right now, they in the Warriors. They in the Warriors right now are in the best spot. No, no, but we're, we're getting sidetracked already. Sorry, see, we're already. <laughs> it's like it's, it's my fault. No. It's my fault. I, I interrupted Darius. I just sometimes I'm like, I just want to point out the, uh, you know, the the little moments of beauty. And Pete, Pete's West Coast, Pacific Listen. Ocean, California boy vibes. I just wanted to emphasize there. Look, we were talking. Look, we record these at like 830 in the morning. Most of the time, that's when we're recording this. It's hard to be on at this time of day. And we were talking in the text thread and we have this kind of ephemeral idea for a pod. Like, what are we going to talk about today? And it starts getting all philosophical. And Lord knows I can expand that out three to five times. So I'm like, even before I'm like, oh, this intro is going to be something else. I can already tell. And yeah, we ended up on the ocean talking about the Celtics. Yes. Oh, the ocean talking. <laughs> oh, man. But they're cresting. They're that wave. They've been together for years. You, and they have a lot of force. They have a lot of force. You're not wrong. And, and, and so the interesting thing is, though, is when I look at the playoffs, I look at what wins? What wins in this league when it comes to the playoffs? Stars win. Togetherness wins. A key role player performance here or there wins. Like, grown-up adults win, mm -hmm. but they also need a little bit of that recklessness pushing them at times, right? And it's what makes me love the 2020 championship team because they had all of those ingredients they had all of that togetherness they had zero continuity from the season before basically right um not zero but not a lot anthony davis was new to the team right like there was all of this newness and they still found their way in order to win so you go back to what the lakers did this past off season and you understand what they were going for Right, Mike? What they were going for was a star build. Stars win in this league. I just saw Joel, last night, I just saw Joel Embiid basically say, guess what? We're not losing this game. All the, no, way all no the way business down, winning that game. No, yep. all the way down to a last second buzzer beating three, basically, mm -hmm. off, off of an inbounds catch. That was very reminiscent of the three that Anthony Davis hit against the Nuggets. It reminded me of that same sore sort of shot where it's just like, I'm just letting this one fly. I got no time. I'm just letting it go. In the same way that DeMar DeRozan said, yeah, guess what? We're not losing. Like, tonight's my night. Oh, I'm ISO'd against Giannis? Oh, crossover between my legs, rising up, and I'm hitting this, this jumper. So stars win, right? But you need that support behind them, Mike. And so I think back to the Lakers and what they were trying to do – I think that they targeted step one appropriately enough in in its own way. Like, okay, we got LeBron, we got Anthony Davis. Let's insulate that with a player like like Russell Westbrook. We'll talk more Russ, I think, later in the pod. Um, but the idea was there. But where the Lakers started to fall short was in sort of this in-between area, which is the role player area that I think is super important for when you're building out a championship team. But 
I'm looking at these playoffs and and one of the things I was thinking about in sort of what Pete was talking about too to to intro the well the pod was what would these Lakers not at their best but what they were going for right like cuz we saw the strengths of this team and we saw the weaknesses of of this team and now the playoffs are here and we're in the midst of looking at the playoffs as as a whole but I'm a Lakers fan my mind goes right back to the Lakers and I'm just like what were what were the goals of this specific team? Yes, they had tied like title aspirations, but there's a middle part there where that's at their best. And we saw the Lakers at their worst. In the middle, there's a team in there that should be in the playoffs. They should be competing here. And so I kick all of that to you, Mike, just to sort of like help me and help me and Pete too, like come back to what were they going for here? And where do you think it could could have gone in this version of the playoffs that we're seeing today? So you just mentioned DeRozan, and I think the player that – DeRozan was great. The player that really won them the game was Alex Caruso. And the just the – well, I guess you can't – both guys did, right? And the whole team yeah. played well. But the guy, the guy that was doing – DeRozan hit – they don't win if he doesn't hit a million of those difficult mid-range pull-up yes. shots. But in yes. terms of the attitude and in terms of the the swagger and the playoff kind of the know-how, right, the those those tie-in factors, that was gone, I thought, from a lot of this Lakers season. Uh, and, and there were players that tried to step up at different times to do that. But they didn't have those type of – those type of – whether it was a player like Ron Artest that came in that hadn't won after the Lakers won in 2009 that I reference all the time, or it was just a, a vibe or a wave. As Pete put it, that didn't happen. That didn't come. And there were moments when we could start to see it coming on the horizon. Just a little bit, right? There was like a little hint of it when Reeves hit the game winner, when AD and LeBron were healthy, right? And that like that team, it was like, okay, is this is this the part where are we going to start to see it a little bit? And then AD goes down. And then when he came back, okay, there's here, here it comes again on the horizon just a little bit at Brooklyn. And then the injury happens to LeBron, right? And so there were... But there was not even a run of three to four games. And so what the Bulls did, the Bulls had that wave for the first two months of the season. And they had captured something. And it was Lonzo that was out there with Caruso. But there was something that was working there. Now what happened was they get Patrick Williams back. And they get somebody who can at least give them some presence at the four. Some rebounding, some defense, some athleticism that they had been sorely lacking when he was out and when DeRozan and Vucevic were playing at the four or five. So it's a combination of you have to both have the, that mental, um, that kind of hunger and that the guys that know how to do it. And then you have to have the physical players on the court that can come over and do it. And the Lakers were lacking at one point or the other all season in one of those two elements. And every time I watch a playoff game now, one of the teams has either the hunger or the players. Right. And the teams that have both right now, the Celtics, the Warriors, if Phoenix is the is the to be continued as we see what happens with Booker's injury. Dallas is to be continued as we see what happens with Lucas injury. It's this it's such a it's such a a, a subtle but yet obvious mix that you have to have to really get on that wave. I'd also like to point out that Miami has those things and when both yeah. of their games by yeah. double digits against last year's Eastern Conference <laughs> finalists, like they're good. They belong in the discussion. Um, and they were a number one seed despite the fact that multiple, like many of their players missed 15 plus games of their key I guys. love Miami, don't like Boston, and I hate the fact that I think Boston is better right now. Um, but I, I know that I know that you and I are uh, 
differ on that. No, no, no. It's not a matter of that. It, let's take a break. Come, come back. We'll continue the discussion. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think there's a decent chance that we're talking about a Miami-Boston Eastern Conference Finals, and we'll get more into, I think, the specifics of the matchup. Boston is very good. I'm really not trying to to downplay how good they are. The thing that stood out to me about these these playoffs in particular and seeing playoff basketball in, in front of our face has been the value of that force that you play with like you you had a great text um during the the brooklyn and boston game d where you were like brooklyn isn't playing with the same force they're not matching that and now that part of that is just a physical thing like boston's got a bunch of really strong dudes and a lot of brooklyn's guys are small and skinny right it's it's not that complicated and like they can't and this is something that Kevin Durant is struggling in this series offensively, in part because there's a certain strength and length that he's not used to to dealing with. But moreover, because of that increased attention to detail, attention to detail that happens in the playoffs on the defensive end, the other element is skill. High level skill wins. There is a point where, like, I, I love AC and I totally agree that he brings a certain amount of the defensive swagger and like the defensive plays and just plays on both ends that he makes on both ends. It really bothers me as a Laker fan to be like, we had him for, we watched him play like that for all those years and watched that and said, oh, we could replace that. That's something that, you know, it's, it's, it's very frustrating, but I think to me, he's not the headliner there. To me, it's DeMar. DeMar DeRozan D was hitting these high level shots. Yeah. He's a six, 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 seven guy that there was a play against Giannis where one of the things I really want to get into illustrating next year in coverage through the team is kind of the sequence of how players beat each other in yes. a one-on-one type of setting. You know what I'm oh, talking about, right? Man. Yes. Yes. It's the dance. The dance, the dance is like, yeah. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. I may use that, that the dance between two players. And so there was a play where DeRozan and Giannis were dancing. They had switched Giannis onto him because he was cooking and DeRozan got Giannis leaning a little bit. Like, so Giannis, because he's so long, if you've ever stood next to Giannis, he's got these incredibly long legs, kind of a high center of gravity, but like long levers make slower movements. And DeRozan got him leaning just a little bit and created just a little bit of an advantage, but that's not enough against a guy like Giannis. Giannis can recover like no other because of his motor and his physical tools. 
and the way that DeRozan leveraged that to stay one step ahead of every little recovery attempt that Giannis had over the course of that dance and then finished with that high release point, like Giannis just made this much of a defensive mistake and DeRozan capitalized on that. And that's something that the higher level levels of the playoffs that you get to, you got to be able to hit shots like that. And so that's something that to me, DeRozan was the headliner in that. And that's something that when we look at this Lakers team, when you trade for that third guy, that third star D, he's got to have skills, right? Yes. It, I think that that is a very necessary, like pass, shoot, dribble, type of skill and that's not to say that Russ doesn't have great value in the things that he does but in a three-star build the ability to hit those big time shots here and there I think is super valuable in playoff basketball yeah and one of the things that I think very much against the Lakers this season and I would have been interested to see if this was able to flip on its head in the playoffs because of how much just general stars and what their specific strengths are and how they leverage those can matter is that during the regular season, if if you have a Russell Westbrook, I think one of the things that the Lakers needed was for Anthony Davis and for LeBron James to up their skill game in a way where they then became the guys who you look at as, well, you're doing those things that DeRozan was doing. And it's not far-fetched to look at Anthony Davis and say, well, you did that for us in the run to the championship in the bubble, right? His level of shot making was mm. obscene, right? And so one of the things that – and one of the things that DeRozan does, and just to cap that point because I think it's important to bring up, is he plays with interesting timing as well. He can play in between dribbles, he can play in between beats. Right? I love that. And so DeRozan, he can play on beat, like, okay, between the legs, crossover, gather, come to my hop, elevate and shoot over the top. He can also, between the legs, act like I'm crossing over, but the crossover is my gather. And now I'm into my shooting motion when you thought I was dribbling. And it's like, oh, now you're raising up and I'm flat-footed. And yep. he does all of this while on balance. So he has the ability to play like, oh, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. And he can play on all of those beats and you don't know which beats coming. And it's like, OK. And he does it all on balance. And that's what makes him special as a shooting threat. But going back to the Lakers, it's like, OK, well, they needed A.D., this is why AD is so important, because yes. as much as LeBron's shot making has improved, Mike, and as much as he's a threat to play out to 27 or 30 feet as a jump shooter, LeBron, in our text thread, and you say this on TV as well, what makes LeBron special is that ability to put his head down and still get to the basket. He still does this after 20 seasons, and it's just like, we need a basket, I can still get to the paint and score. And Kevin Durant needs some of that against Boston. It's one of the reasons why it's just like, oh, man, LeBron mm -hmm. in the playoffs. It's what makes him unbelievable. It's that ability to go to the basket. But AD is that guy where it's like he can play in that mid-range. He can shoot that jumper. And it's why when we were talking about what we wanted to talk about today, this is why I wanted to talk about it. It's because I'm looking at what's winning in the playoffs, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking about who on the – like what the Lakers were getting after – 
when they built this specific team. And I'm just like, I see it. Well, now that that team still had Russell Westbrook, that that team did not have enough defense, right? That they had too many small guards and not enough forwards. I don't forget those things. And that's why I'll never think in hindsight, regardless of what they were going for, that this Lakers team was going to win a championship, right? But I'm looking at these first round games and I see something there. So the first thing I want to get into some of the the talk about DeRozan and you had a lot of you had so many interesting points there. Um, I'm going to try to hit on all of them. So Westbrook, the issue against a good defense, against a good postseason defense, you can just limit him. You just can't. He's not going to get to his easy looks at the rim. If you have a really good defense that's that's focused, he's not going to hit the jump shots that you want him to take. And so what is the utility there? The transition stuff, it's going to go away a lot. You know, so so the that to me was always going to be a problem. Um, other than finding some way to turn into a different type of player to support LeBron and AD. And to get to AD, this to me is the most interesting element out of this discussion. And I don't, I'm, I think it's a different perspective here, but the Lakers won the finals games against Miami by an average of 11.75 points and in their four wins. I just don't think that Anthony Davis's jump shot was as important as it's discussed now, because what I was always when I was at those games and I wasn't at the bubble games, but just watching AD in person, he could always just go down to the block too, or just put his head down and get to the free throw line. I didn't like it most often when he would settle for the jump shots, even if that's sure there's you have to hit some amount, I guess. But the Lakers were never in all of these super crazy tight games, with the exception of a couple, because their defense was amazing because LeBron could always go to the rim and get a bucket, and because you could always get AD in the right type of place to either attract a double team or score. So all of the stuff about like AD in the bubble, and it's not real, I've just never bought into it that much. I've never thought that he's had to shoot that many jumpers. I've never been that concerned if he shot 32% versus 38%. And I don't mean to be misconstruing your point, but that's where I'm always coming from with AD and LeBron and like, Sure, jump shot's great. If they hit him, great. But guess what? They don't need to, like DeMar DeRozan does. Like, even to an extent, right. Kevin Durant does. Now, Durant's an all-time jump shooter. But DeRozan, he's not going to do that to me four out of seven times it, to, to lead Chicago to a title. He, he's not at that level. Sure. I he, He's not. But I, I also think that we have a difficult time in the NBA discourse quantipli- quantifying players who are very good but not great because their very goodness runs into a ceiling where the great <laughs> ones surpass them in the second round or conference finals or, or finals. And the last memory that we have of that player is how they went, you know, eight for 22 or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just... I have a heart for players like DeRozan, even guys like Westbrook. Now, my opinion of Westbrook changed, certainly seeing him up close day to day, just as that happens with any player. So I have a different view on it, but the the same point remains, right? So anyway, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about AD's jumper. This is a, a topic I think is really important. So, Mike, I nine, I'm I 90% agree with your perspective of the importance of AD's jumper in the bubble run and the like the overall place that it where it matters. My point is like we need him to not be a bad jump shooter. He was a bad three-point shooter in particular this year and even the year before, to the point where it has a domino effect on 
the rest of the lineups and the rest of the groups that you can play out there. Part of the reason why those bigger lineups worked in the 2020 season is because AD's jumper was totally fine. Do I want him shooting eight to 10 jumpers a game? Not necessarily, but there was a stretch where Vogel was like, hey, we want him taking four or five threes a game. And that was a function of the spacing that needed to happen for LeBron to get to the rim and to facilitate things. So I'm totally with you on that idea that we don't need AD to be some sniper, nor should that be the featured part of his game. But when he's bad at it or when he dips below a certain level, it has a chain reaction effect where things like THT becomes like less effective because he doesn't have a, a jump shot either. Right. And so well, can I, can I, inter- yeah. can I interject? And, and I, I want to toss this right back to you. Like he, he doesn't have a broke jumper, right? I, I get that his threes were going in, but he's not, he's not like Tony Allen Westbrook. Like he's, he's got a nice release, you know, most of the time. Yes. It's not always perfectly consistent, but he's not a, he's not a guy to me. That's just like, Oh, AD's got the ball out there. We're good. That So therefore what's the difference? He He's certainly not, but the difference is that it, allows the defense to overplay to such a degree on protecting the basket because he's such a terror around the basket. Remember how passionate like I was early in the season about the starting DJ because the defensive decisions, remember I was talking about like you can go under the screen on Russ, you're going to sag off of DJ, you're going to sag off of AD, not because AD can't shoot. He's not Tony Allen or or Russ or, or someone like that. But it but if I have to choose And I'm giving him these open jumpers and he's like making them, you know, getting 0.8 points per possession off of that. Like, I'm going to live with that all day long. But aren't you living with that with AD and LeBron, period? Like, you're always wanting AD and LeBron to shoot a jumper, period. No matter what, you're like, you want to shoot this? Cool. I'm I'm in the paint, period. This is why, Pete, you said that you 90% agree with Mike on what he was saying about the value of, of AD's jumper. And I... Don't agree at all. Like, I don't agree at all. Like, mm. he needs to he needs to make jumpers. I'm sorry. Two points. Like, the reason why you shoot the damn ball is for the ball to go in the damn basket. It's, it's, it's why you're shooting. And so I want him. Look, he's not going to be he's not going to be a 38 percent three point shooter. He might not even shoot 35 percent. He needs to be in between 30 and 35 percent, though. He needs to make roughly one third of his three point jumpers and his value. Mike, one of the reasons why the Lakers weren't in a lot of close games during the playoffs wasn't just because their defense was phenomenal. Obviously, that was the case. It's because when A.D. is hitting 50 percent of his jump shots, from the mid-range where he morphed into 2011 Dirk Nowitzki and he was being compared to Kevin Durant favorably as a jump shooter that's what opens up the that's what makes him literally undefendable you cannot guard him with anyone and so teams then said well yes we'll give you jumpers and AD was like okay how how does 1.1 points per 100 processions on jump shot sound. That's how you lose by 15, right? Because you're giving me this shot and I'm making it damn near all of the time, or it feels like all all of the time. And that ability then cascades in, in a way where it's just like, well, shit, what are we gonna do with this dude? Because now he's showing me pump fakes. I have to go up on the balls of my feet at least 
to defend it because he just hit three jumpers in in a row against me. And now he's getting layups. And now that sagging off is I'm one step closer. I'm one and a half steps closer. And he's so explosive once he decides that he's going to to the basket that all of it is a chain reaction. It's all a part of 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 a game that when the jumper is falling for for Anthony Davis, he becomes a top five player in the league. This is yeah, if I can piggyback on that before going back to you, Mike, that is the other thing that stood out to me so far is are are the cheat codes. There's some guys that are just cheat codes. Like Milwaukee last night came out without a, a great deal of verve and juice. And now we've got Middleton with a sprained MCL. We're waiting to hear news back on that. And but there was a stretch in the third quarter where Giannis just cut the deficit by 10 points, basically, by himself. And then DeRozan has a certain level of cheat code, right? He's not the level of potency of, you know, a Giannis or a LeBron when he's at his best or an AD. But Mike, AD's jumper is what takes him from being a really good all-star level player. You always talk about this, right? Like there's kind of two ADs, like one's a really solid all-star and then there's another guy that's the top five guy. Like Darius said, the top five guy is going to just knock jumpers down in your eye over and over and over again if you don't if you can't contest it. And so he that's I think what makes AD a cheat code. It kind of pushes him over into that territory. So I was trying to look this up and haven't had the time to pull it up in this discourse, but I did AD shoot the same way in every series of that playoffs? Like was his jumper? Do you guys have it up in front of you? His, I, his I don't. two point I can percentage. So my guess is that it's I'll not it exactly right. even. No, probably right. In my and and I don't I don't remember. And the Miami series, remember he hurt his leg at some point, or like he was not a hundred percent in the Miami series. So he cert- So I know in that series he wasn't as effective as a jump shooter. Yeah, but but it's it's like I just AD's jump shooting to me is just pretty far down on the list of things that I like about Anthony Davis, and and that's the only point. That, of course, if he makes up, if LeBron like when do, when do LeBron teams lose when he makes a bunch of threes? You know, like to me, it's just so it's such low hanging fruit to say that, yes, if his jump shot is going in, then the other team is screwed. Well, sure. But that's because they have to they have to just by nature tilt their defense into the paint and overhelp and over worry about what he can do finishing at the rim. So I, I, I can't argue that hitting jump shots is good and opens up the pain and opens up the rest of the offense. I just don't think it's the first thing that I want my ridiculously skilled big guy um, who can who can finish over everybody, especially when all these teams are going small. And that's the perspective that I'm trying to come from. Uh, but I don't I don't know if I'm arguing my case in the way that that's fitting this discussion. You're totally right. It's not the first thing. It's not the second or third thing. I just think that kind of the whole point of our team is that we've got these two guys that can do that, that can get to that territory. And it's like when you've got two guys that can do that at the same time, a big part of the playoffs, I think we'll see as we get to the second round and the conference finals are like, you got two guys cooking at the same time. And it's such a big part of the premise of our team, Mike, that it is a low hanging fruit and it's not the most important thing, but AD being that is in some ways, everything for us. well, maybe the whole maybe the the building point on this is then what are the key what are the pieces to put around those two, and and that's where that's where what we saw worked sure. and what we saw this year with Russ and is it how much does the shooting how much does the spacing have to do with that and if you're if that exactly. third guy that you're bringing in 
is what is Westbrook. And Pete, I think that was a driving force behind your, well, hold on. Russ is here now. You can't be starting DeAndre, you know, right. and in that, in what that limitation is. Right. And so looking forward to the next year, then you're also thinking, well, if you're, if you're going to have Russ there, well then man, the center spot, if you're going to have one, it has to Darius, you weren't here for that discussion, but it's like, it has to be a space five this time. Right. Almost just in, in my theory of team building. And then, yeah. so it's, it just, you're creating this new structure of limitations as we're watching some of these teams that have success or don't have success in the postseason, and and that to me is is something that from the start was going to be tricky, and maybe Darius, that's part of what you were saying is as a like if the jump shot is going in, then it changes the way that the whole, the whole rest of the team can be composed. But I'm I'm sort of saying, well, what on the days that it's not, and sometimes it might not be right. Then what's the what's the rest of that roster going to look like so that it shouldn't matter in the way that I'm saying it shouldn't matter. Anthony Davis can be the beautiful thing about Anthony Davis, and this is true about LeBron too, is that they help you win in so many different ways that the jump shot is lower on the list for both of them. Mike, my point about AD and. Him elevating himself from being like a top 15 player to a top five player. Like I was listening to Zach Lowe talk and he was talking about Jason Tatum on a recent pod. And he wrote this the other day too. But Zach basically said that Tatum has surpassed Anthony Davis as like in terms of how good he is as a player. Right. And I thought about it and he laid out his reasons why. Right. Tatum is that is that apex predator big wing that you've talked talked about a ton, Mike. He's, he's a three-level scorer, and he's an elite defensive player. He's been giving Kevin Durant fits during these, these playoffs. There's few players in the league that you can talk about in that exact way, and normally they're going to be elite. And so he's like, I now place him in that range of like healthy Kawhi Leonard, which is like, oh, well, damn. Right? Like, that's a number one option for a championship contending team. What vaults AD back into that discussion is, well, is he making 45% of his jump shots? Because if he's making 45% of his jump shots, well, suddenly that gap goes away again. Because he's then such a reliable scorer, particularly in isolation, that he can be a fulcrum of the offense in ways that surpass what he even is now, which is already at a high level. So, but I did find your discussion about like bigs and what the second big needs to be if if Anthony Davis is a four. Because you can, like, I look at New Orleans and I'm like, Jonas doesn't, or like, Valanchunas doesn't space the floor. Jackson Hayes is a complete non-shooter. They stick him in the corner, but he's a non-shooter as well. But they start three other guys who are very capable three, well, three-point shooters. But on top of that, Ingram and McCollum are both elite pull-up shooters off of the dribble coming off of screens. And you can play two bigs if your other if, if your other players are so skilled that you have to go over screens on them. And that was the biggest miscalculation in constructing this Amen. roster. It was that against Russell Westbrook, you have to go over on screens. 
There, there's, and if you there's, have to there's go over, warriors like uh, warriors are like that too, right? Where you can play Draymond and Looney if you've got Clay and Steph and Poole, yep. right? Yes, yep. because those guys shoot up off of handoff actions or come off of ball screens, and you cannot go under on those. And so, if you can viably go under on screens, your big needs to be able to pop. Because that's how you create the space. It makes the big man have to play in space in a way where it's just like, okay, well, the guy I'm guarding is suddenly six, eight, ten feet away from me because he popped outside the three-point line. And the guard who you're trying to get under the screen on, he's still going downhill. You're not stopping him because that space is vacated. And so that was the problem, I think, this this year, Pete. And so next year, I'm like, okay, y'all need to rectify that. Yeah, that because the other version of that, for example, Russ and Gafford, Gafford is not a pop threat, but they were effective together in part because then the other three dudes were like legit spot up shooters on, on the floor. Right. And so if you you can have a not real shooter at uh, as a ball handler and a downhill threat, but then all three of the other guys have to pose that threat. And that's why in the championship season, Mike, the thought about what AD was as a shooter was still high enough. And then executed at a level that was even super surpassed what the thought of him was during the title run we ran a game winner we ran a game winning ato for him as a shooter going left off of a cross screen again in game two against denver that's the type of shooter he was in those in that bubble but what i'm saying too is pete is is that when you have when your other starters are kcp and danny green who are both respected as shooters and then LeBron James as the ultimate sort of tactician and an analyzer of how an on how any given possession is going to play out. Then Anthony Davis, who's shooting at an elite level for a big man for sure, but even as like a stretch forward, he was just like, oh, look at this dude. He's he's out here. Again, they were comparing him to Kevin Durant. He shot 56% on shots between 16 and 23 feet, 56% during the playoffs. He had an amazing run as a shooter. So guess what? The other guy out there, he could be Dwight Howard. He can be JaVale McGee, right? Now, those guys ended up not playing as much because of defensive concerns, not because of offensive concerns. It's because other teams were just like, well, we're going to spread you out. Right. And the better option ended up being Markeith Morris or Kyle Kuzma or Alex Caruso and then LeBron sliding up. But I'm looking at the and to bring this full circle and back to where we started, I'm looking at these playoffs and I'm just like, yep, Mike was right the whole time. Healthy LeBron, healthy AD. Give me those dudes because those dudes work yeah. in the playoffs. Even a guy like and then you had the small guard. We had the small guards discussion. The other day, it's just like you can have one of those dudes like, oh, Malik Monk, he might be able to do some things if you surround him with other things. The Lakers, though, they had two of the elite, elite dudes and then not enough of the other dudes, the Alex Caruso's or even like the third star who was like, "Uh, well, not really in this environment, because what you're seeing from the third star guys is, oh, that dude's a pull up shoe shooter. That dude's quick and you have to respect his jumper. He, he is all of these things, not a power dude like well, like Russ is. Yeah, and, and that's that's a good point, too. I guess the, the last thing I would to tie in the shooting with this whole discussion in roster building and how that works on the playoffs is that 
For me, Pete, I ideally, I don't want to have to have LeBron or Anthony Davis, you know, have to hit a certain percentage of jump shots for me to win. Like, I want to be able to place the guys around them to do certain things so that, like, my favorite version of Anthony Davis is the one that we saw in the second or third game that he played with the Lakers, where he got to the free throw line like 30 times. Where it just, yeah. And I know that he's not going to be like that every time, right? He's does, that's not his day-to-day mindset. He, he sometimes is very happy if his jump shot is going in and he can play the game that way. But I want to, I want that driving force to and around the rim as much as possible. And I want LeBron, LeBron's a little different now, right? Cause he, his three point shooting over the top and his age and all that, he's going to have to do some of that, but I still want him then in the fourth quarter when it's money time to be like, all right, like bully ball out of my way. You're in the paint. Cool. Sidestep layup. So I want, I want it built around what their strengths are and not just saying that the, the jump shooting has to be at a certain at a certain level. I think we ended up arriving at a very similar place. Let's uh, let's talk more about this tomorrow. It's been a little bit since we've talked Lakers. I'd love to get into roster construction ideas built off of this idea. How to ex- execute exactly what you were talking about there, Mike. We'll do that tomorrow here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. Ains has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the a lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the score. move. Two, one, miss it. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.